Jesus so very much. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord indeed. Let the glory of the Lord rise. Can somebody say amen in the studio today? And church family and ministry, uh, ministry friends watching online from around America and around the world, can you say, let the glory rise? Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Glory be to God. Today is Sunday. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. March the 30th, and I trust that you're having a wonderful day in the Lord, and I know God has a great plan for your life, a great future for you, and it's time to step into it right now. Are you ready? We're going to go into the Word in just a moment, but before we do that, we are going to take a moment to receive tithes and offerings. We have established by the Lord's command a 24-hour online church. We are a full-spectrum church. We even receive tithes and offerings. How about that? Online. And I know there's many people across America and other countries uh, you live in an area where there's either no church facilities, uh, there's not a church you can attend, maybe you're in a remote area, or perhaps you're in an area where maybe you're new, you haven't found the church or something along the line of that. Well, you can, uh, you can send your tithe in here. If you feel this as being a storehouse to you spiritually, you're being fed and nourished, then we will pray over your tithes and offerings and receive them. Now, if you have a home church somewhere, God bless you. You should be plugged in somewhere to a home church. And you can also uh, send in offerings if these teachings are a blessing uh, to you. You can send your tithe to your home church, but even with the home church somewhere else, as, as these teachings bless your spirit and move your spiritual life forward, it would be a blessing to us if you would sow a seed financially into the ministry so that we can continue to not only bring these programs forth, but actually to expand uh, these messages into the nations of the earth so that many other people can hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so for those of you that would like to uh, send in tithes and offerings online, you can do that at the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. On the left, there is a link called Sow and Reap. Just click that link. It is a secure credit card transaction site, okay? If you would like to mail in your tithes and offerings, your financial gifts, you can do that by mailing those to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717 Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. Let me share just a small scripture with you to encourage you with your finances and for God's blessing to rest upon your finances without having a guilty conscience. How about that? I'm in John chapter 19. I'd like for you to meet me just for a moment in verse 23. It says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them and tore, excuse me, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. So the outer garment was not torn, okay? They wanted to keep it in one, ple uh, one piece. Why, Pastor Stephen? Because it was a very nice 
outer garment. They're actually gambling to see who's going to be the lucky winner. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, I've always been taught in, my, in church, being raised in church, that Jesus was this hippie preacher. He was a barefoot preacher walking around with his 12 men uh, in a shambled mess looking for a handout of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe somebody could give him some pita and hummus, and then, you know, they'd be happy and hit on down the road. That's always the way I've envisioned Jesus. Well, if Jesus was poor and broke, what's he doing with the treasurer? I've never met any poor people out on the street who are homeless who have a full-time treasurer, okay? Never in my life have I met that. Now, I've never met a poor person who they're trying to gamble over their clothes because the clothes are so nice. So the outer garment was something nice. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed that God blesses you with something nice. You feel like you have to hide that or uh, somehow like put that thing away and only wear it at certain times because you don't want anybody else to see it because what they might think about you that it's too nice. You know, you need to be comfortable and step into the blessings of God. Jesus had the largest ministry in the entire nation. How would it look for the, the man that, not, of course, we know he's the son of God. We know who he really is. But how would it look to those who weren't quite convinced of who he was, who are maybe still on, the, on uh, either side of the fence trying to figure out who this man is? How would it look for Jesus to have the largest ministry in Israel to walk around looking like a hobo? Well, I mean, well, honestly, what would you think? You'd think, well, I don't know. I kind of like his message, but something, something doesn't seem to be coming across right here. Now, I know at night he wasn't staying in the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, Pastor Stephen, they didn't have those. Look, I know. You know that. I know that. I know sometimes they had to rough it. They had to camp out. And uh, they were on the move constantly going from village to village. And honestly, back then, uh, it's not like there was a lot of nice things. You were either uh, like a ruler like Herod, and you had tremendous wealth, and you had, you had some officials and governors, you had other people that had wealth, but most of the people were, I guess, what you'd call common people, and they were poor, okay? But Jesus, at the same time, he was not this impoverished, uh, in, in, uh, impoverished beggar-type person. He was blessed. How do you know that, Pastor Stephen? Because the blessing of the Lord comes upon those uh, under the law who are fulfilling the requirements of the law. And he filled, he, he fulfilled every requirement of the law perfectly. And when you follow the law, the blessing comes, okay? And when you, when you follow sin, the curse comes. And poverty is included in the curse. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I'm just talking just for a moment about the garment that he was wearing, that nice outer garment. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Pastor Stephen, I don't think preachers should preach in suits. Well, what should we preach in, gym shorts? I mean, you got to preach in something. I mean, here's Jesus with the largest ministry in Israel, and he has what we would consider a nice suit. One time I was in a meeting, and I was getting ready to speak, and they had somebody speak before me. I guess he was the warm-up preacher, and after that, I was going to come bring the message. I was a guest speaker. Well, they got this gentleman up there before me, and he got up there, and he got he got rambling. I guess he just wanted to take over and, ha and, ha and have the night. And I just sat there and said, well, I already know I'm going to get an honorarium. What's an honorarium? It's a set offering. It's not a love offering where you give, where you receive whatever they might give. It's an honorarium. In other words, the check's already been made out in the back. So I just figured, well, if he wants to talk, he's just doing all the work for me because they've already, <laughs> they've already made out a, an honorarium for me. So just let him have his night. Let him have fun. And, boy, he was huffing and puffing and blowing smoke. And he got over to the point. He said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I love all of y'all so much. He said, if any one of you even said, I want your shoes, he said, I take my shoes off right now and give them to you. That's how much I love you. What happened when he said that? 
Well, we all looked down at his shoes. He had the nastiest old pair of shoes you've ever seen in his life. Now, his clothes are already uh, frazzled and wore out looking, and, you know, you think maybe he stepped out of the backwoods. Maybe he did. But I know one thing. There wasn't nobody in that meeting who stood up and said, I want your shoes. They wouldn't want them old stinky things. You know they stunk, too. They looked like they're about 25 years old, just barely holding together. You know, when we give, we should give our best. And uh, Jesus had on a nice outer garment. They actually gambled to see who would get it. I guarantee you one thing, that gentleman that was preaching that meeting one time, nobody gamble over his shoes. They'd take those things and throw them in the closest dumpster, okay? So we don't need to give away junk. We need to honor the Lord. We need to let the honor of God come into our our walk with the Lord, the way we reflect ourselves, you're ambassador for Christ, okay? Now, you and I both know that if you're out working in your garden, you're not wearing no three-piece suit, okay? You're not wearing your, how can we say, Sunday best. There's work jobs, but there's also normal everyday life when you have to conduct yourself, maybe present yourself in the right way. So even if you're not dressed up in, in how can we say, fine clothes, you should still, nevertheless, be an excellent example, you know, it doesn't cost a lot to go out and bottle, if you're a man, it doesn't cost a lot to go out and get yourself a nice perfume. Uh, uh, actually, that would be for ladies. How about a cologne for a man? Can we go that route? <laughs> Don't none of you men be wearing perfume, okay? <laughs> Glory to God. I have to watch what I say. I don't want to mislead the sheep. Hallelujah. Now, but see, you can take excellence in the way that you present the gospel. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, if you're out in the ghettos, and you're, you're mentioning uh, the Lord Jesus to these people. You don't necessarily meet, need to dress up. But I'll tell you one thing, with a lot of ghetto people, if you don't have something like some gold or some bling-bling, they won't pay any attention to you. They all, they'll, they'll respect the drug dealer. Why? Because look at the gold rings on his finger. Look at the gold chains around his neck. And the kids want to be like that. Look at the big Cadillac he's driving with 22-inch rims. And, and uh, that, that's what they want to be like. Why? Because they, they've got something that the kids want. And so you come along and you tell them, well, come follow Christ. We'll all go live in the trash can together. They're like, well, I want to be like the drug dealer. Now, don't write me no nasty letter. I'll put it in file 13. <laughs> That's the trash can. It's right next to the paper shredder. So, you know, praise God. I mean, stop and think about it. Let the Word of God renew your mind. He had a nice outer garment. He wasn't a hobo. Jesus was a hobo. No, he's not. He had a nice outer garment that was so nice the soldiers gambled over it. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not saying it was an Armani suit. You see what I'm saying? But I'm saying it was nice. You are an ambassador for Christ. You should carry the glory of God uh, in, a, in a way that's presentable to those that you're endeavoring to reach. Okay, not turn them off, but reach them with the love of Christ with the spirit of excellence. Praise God. Let the Lord bless your finances. Now, Father, I'm praying for those that are sending in their, their gifts financially, tithes and offerings. Bless them. Hallelujah. And let the mind of Christ be theirs in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I want to continue a spiritual theme. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the subject of miracles, experiencing miracles in our everyday life. Ooh, hallelujah, isn't that nice? But I want to talk today about an aspect of prayer, okay? And my title for the me today's message is Phenomenal Success in Prayer. Notice the title is not just a little dab will do you, okay? Just a little blessing on the side. God, just give me a little shower. 
No, I don't want no little shower. I want to stand under Niagara Falls. Hallelujah. And be blessed. All right. So, the title of today's message is Phenomenal Success in Prayer. And before we begin to open this up, I want to mention a little bit about what I would call a prayer methodology. Now, if I titled the sermon Prayer Methodology and put that title on the internet, nobody would look at it. Why? Because it sounds boring, okay? But I want to talk a little bit today in, a, uh, in essence to experience phenomenal success in prayer. I want to talk about prayer methodology, okay? Now, we're not going to get like philosophically deep because all the truths of Scripture are simple. So I want to share some simple things regarding prayer methodology that I believe will help you, and you can apply them to your devotional life. Let me give, give you an example uh, that's helpful that I can even pull from the Methodist Church. Our studio that I'm streaming to you from right now uh, is actually an old Methodist Church building. It was built in 1877. And isn't it nice when something's built of the Lord, it just seems to hang around for a long, long time? Hallelujah. By God's grace, this facility will be here till He returns. Now, of course, I believe we'll outgrow it, but I'm, I believe this place will continue to be a blessing to many generations to come. The Methodist revival originated in Epworth, Lincolnshire, England. It began with a group of men, including John Wesley and his younger brother, Charles. This was a movement within the Church of England in the 18th century. The Wesley brothers founded what was called the Holy Club. Now, I know some preachers today are founding cigar clubs, backroom gambling clubs. They actually founded a club called the Holy Club. Sounds like the kind of guys we like to hang around with. Well, not, not, not the religious club, but the Holy Club, okay, while they were at Oxford, where John was a fellow and later a lecturer at Lincoln College. The Holy Club met week weekly, and they systematically set about living a holy life. They were accustomed to receiving communion every week, fasting regularly, abstaining from most forms of amusement and luxury, and frequently visited the sick and poor as well as those who were in prison. Their little fellowship soon became branded as Methodist. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of precious saints in the Methodist church, and they have no idea why they're called Methodist. Okay, so uh, they became branded as Methodist by their fellow students because of the way they used a specific, systematic method to go about their religious activities. Wesley took the attempted mockery of being called a Methodist because of his methods and turned it into a title of honor. Okay, so John Wesley and his brother Charles and those involved in that move of the Spirit, they had a method. They weren't just rambling, uh, uh, flying by the seat of their pants. They had a method that the Holy Spirit had revealed to them that was effective in ministry. So today, before I share with you some suggested items to incorporate in your prayer time, some suggested prayer methods, let me first explain why you need and should have a prayer method. Woo, glory to God. Mm -mm. Now, if you don't facilitate and incorporate in your life some prayer methodology, what will happen is that your prayer time will be inconsistent. And I, I'm not saying you won't have a prayer time, but it will not function on the level that it potentially could. It'll be consistent. There'll be gaps in it, okay? And so ask yourself right now, is your prayer life inconsistent? Don't raise your hand, okay? But is your prayer life inconsistent? 
This teaching is going to help you overcome that. John Wesley spent two hours each day in prayer and fasted two days each week. That was his spiritual method. That was his way of operating. Now, it's perhaps not yours, but you still need to discover a prayer method that is effective with your personality, your characteristics, and the way God made you. Martin Luther, let's switch to a different uh, gentleman at this point. Martin Luther, when once asked what were his plans for the following day, he answered, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much work to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Well, praise God. What's that, Pastor Stephen? I'll tell you exactly what it is. That is a prayer methodology. Luther also said this. Now, listen to this very carefully. This is what he said. If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Now, let me ask you a question. What does he mean when he says the devil gets the victory? I'll tell you what he means. First of all, let me tell you what he didn't mean. He didn't mean that he lost his salvation, okay? It just meant that the devil got the victory over him and, uh, and the, the victory that God wanted him to experience. The anointing, the grace, the, 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 the blessing didn't quite flow the way it should have because his prayer threshold was not up to the level that it was supposed to be at. You know, we all have different thresholds of prayer, and there's a place in your spirit where you know I'm full. And there's also a place inside of you that says empty, okay? It's just like your, it's like your gas tank on your vehicle. There's, there's a dial, and when it's full, it goes all the way to the top. And when it's empty, it's all the way down there by the E. And you know in your heart when you've only got a quarter tank left, okay? You know when you should be full, particularly when there's a lot taking, taking place and many things transpiring. You know that in order to have the victory, you should be at the full level. That's what he's talking about. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. The problem was not that he wasn't praying, but he wasn't praying enough to be carried over into victory. See, he said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory throughout the day. Now, perhaps God's not calling you to pray two hours a day. You might not have the cross to carry that he did. You might not have the burden on your shoulders of being the hinge pin for an entire reformation that shook a continent and still affects believers all around the world today. But, but, but. You still have a calling and purpose, and you still need to have a prayer methodology. Can you say yes? Thank you, Lord Jesus. I have a feeling in my heart that most of you that are watching do have a prayer life, but perhaps you're not praying enough to overcome and experience victory the way God wants you to experience it. You're praying, but are you praying enough to be carried into that place of constant and ongoing victory? Over the years, he established a method of prayer that worked for him. Now, understand with Martin Luther that he was preaching, he was writing, he was pastoring, 
He was translating the Bible into German. He was being a husband and a father, overseeing the Reformation that shook the church throughout Europe. He was an incredibly busy man. His calendar was always full. And yet, in spite of his incredible workload, he found it absolutely necessary to pray. Woo, hallelujah. Corey Tinboom said, Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. What, what does she mean? In other words, what she's trying to convey is that to have an appointment is to have a method or to set aside a specific time, perhaps even at a specific place, and to make that consistent. That is a prayer methodology. She said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, I'd like to say something to all the wonderful charismatics out there who are watching me right now. All the wonderful tongue-talking Pentecostals. I'm in there somewhere. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen to this. <laughs> Listen, being a spiritual person does not mean that you're a sloppy person. Okay? It doesn't mean that to be spiritual means that you have no order and that you have no structure. Okay? You could be spiritually deep and still have a prayer methodology. Okay? You don't always have to fly by the seat of your pants in everything you do in life. Actually, God would like you to have structure, consistency, and a divine plan that works well with you and your schedule that you can maintain that and see the grace of God rest on that so that you walk in the constant refreshing and blessing that God wants you to experience. Can you say yes? Think about that. How many people do you know that have a wrong concept of being spiritual? They think that to be spiritual is to, is to see an angel hiding behind a bush. They th that's their depth of spirituality. And everything is just like, ooh. Now, look, I like, ooh. I like all of that. I like goosebumps, visions. I like all uh, gemstones falling from heaven. Count me in. I like all of that. But I also like structure. I, I like good theology. I like good doctrine, okay? And uh, there, there's a part of our lives where God says, if you want to go to a deeper level spiritually, you've got to have your ducks lined up. You have to have your life in order. You have to have structure. You just can't keep stacking one thing on top of another, standing on it, and it's not balanced right, and the whole thing could tilt and fall over at any moment. You need to have a good foundation in your life. Can you say, I believe it? Daniel chapter 6. Listen to this verse in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, how many times? Three times a day, he got down on his knees. Now, notice, notice the prayer methodology. He's praying not once. Well, I, I only feel like two times today. You know, let's just not. No, he had a consistent prayer methodology praying three times a day. He had a way he did it. He didn't stand on his head. If you do that, too much blood flows to your head, you get sick. He, he knelt down. He got down on his knees. And Paul also talked about in his, uh, in his prayers for the church at Ephesus how he would get on his knees and pray for them. Maybe you'd like to pray sitting in your comfortable recliner. That's fine. But you must discover a prayer methodology that you're comfortable with. And for Daniel and for Paul, it was kneeling down. 
and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. And I'm sure he had done it before that, and I'm sure he had done it before that. Why? It was a prayer methodology that worked for him. It is what he got his strength from. It was, it was allowed him to contact the source of wisdom which comes from God to operate in the courts uh, of, of the king there in Babylon. Oh, hallelujah. Daniel was busy. He was very bu busy working in the imperial court, but he still found time to pray. And he knew that it was very important to sustain that. So when you look through the Scriptures, you see people had a prayer methodology. When you look through church history, you'll see that great saints, they had a method of praying, they had a method of devotion that they were very, very consistent in, and they did not deviate from that. Woo! Praise God. Now, Pastor Stephen, why do I need a prayer method? I want to have phenomenal success in prayer. Why do I need to incorporate a prayer methodology? The first reason is closer to you than you know. The first reason is because of your body. Without prayer, your body constantly will want to do things that are not godly. You don't have to shout amen too loud, but it's the truth, isn't it? If you don't pray what will happen is that you will end up letting your flesh dominate you, okay? And that old flesh begins to get stronger and bug you and irritate you, and all these passions and all these things begin to bubble up out of it and uh, stuff like that. And that, that's not the lifestyle that God wants you to experience where, where the flesh is in control. Please turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Woo! Let's put on our spiritual boxing gloves today. Let's step into the arena with the Holy Spirit by our side. Woo! Hallelujah! And let's do a little spiritual boxing today. Praise God! Hallelujah! Wake up, church, and enjoy the glory of God. It's a new day in the glory, and God's glory is on your life. Something good's going to happen to you, not something bad or nasty or evil. Something good is going to happen in your life. Woo! Hallelujah! 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Well, in the early Olympics, only one guy got the prize. Now we have gold, silver, and bronze. And I think that's kind of good because sometimes the guy that usually ends up getting the gold, sometimes what happens is everybody else shows up and they go, oh, it's him again. I guess we're just running for second. You know, if somebody establishes their dominance, in a race or something like that in a certain sporting event, it's almost like sometimes the competition is for second or third, okay? It's always more exciting when there's several people capable both or multi multiple people capable of winning the gold, okay? But at that time, only one person got the prize. So Paul says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is temperate, self-controlled in all things, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now let's continue on to verse 27. Paul says that I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Holman Christian Bible says, instead I discipline my body. Now, this is in context to the, to the athletic realm of, of running or boxing. He said, instead, I discipline my body 
and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. One of the things about an Olympic athlete is they have to be very, very uh, uh, close in control of everything that goes into their body, their sleep, their rest. Everything is structured very, very in, uh, in a timely fashioned way. The Weymouth New, New Testament says, I like this one. This is what Paul said. But I hit hard and straight at my own body and lead it off into slavery, lest possibly after I have been a herald to others, I myself should be rejected. Woo! Praise God for the wisdom that these men walked in. The good old King James Bible says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now the phrase, I keep under my body, is a Greek allusion to boxers, to fighters, who by boxing give their opponents black and blue eyes. Woo! Are you ready for a little MMA today? Come on and put on your gloves and get into the ring with me. Hallelujah. And, and, and let's let God give us to victory today. Now listen to me. Your body makes a great servant, but it makes a terrible master. <laughs> what you need to do is step into the ring of prayer. And knock your flesh out cold. Knock it out until it's laid out on the boxing floor to the, ca to the canvas mat, and it can't get up. Are you ready for a little prayer methodology? Ooh, hallelujah. Praise God. Sure is hard to pray, and that old flesh is messing with you. Mm, you're going to get the victory. Now, look, look. I'm not talking about asceticism. I don't keep any whips in my closet at home. Pastor Kelly doesn't beat me with iron rods, okay? I don't have a rack that I get stretched on at night, okay? <laughs> I'm not into uh, asceticism. I'm into vanilla lattes. I'm into key lime pie, okay? I'm not talking about physically abusing your body, gouging and, and defiling your physical temple, okay? But I'm talking about a strong prayer life that throws a bucket of ice-cold water on the fiery hot passions of your flesh, thus quenching those evil desires. Come on today and get into the glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John Bunyan said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Mm, hallelujah. You got to hit hard at your flesh. Don't pamper it. You got to you got to pray till it is under, not bugging you, not leading you, not screaming at you, telling you what to do. Okay. The second reason why you need a prayer method is because of old Slewfoot. Who's that, Pastor Stephen? It's the dirty old devil. Listen. The second reason why you need a prayer method is because of the devil. First Peter chapter five. You know this verse. It's verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Say, it's not going to be me. <laughs> no, sir. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates that verse by saying, be serious. Be alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Mm. Now, here in the mountains of North Carolina, where we live, and particularly on the mountain where I live at, which is only about 20 minutes from the church, as the crow flies, it's only about five miles. But the drive is a lot longer because it's off a paved road, way back onto a gravel road that winds and turns and takes you to the, to the uh, backside of the mountain. But where I live, we have lots of deer. And uh, Kelly walked out of the garage last night, and there was a deer, nice deer, greeting her as she walked out. We have lots of deer, and we welcome the deer. But we haven't really seen any black bears in a while. We do have black bears in the mountains that we live in here, the Brushy Mountains. But it's been about five years since any of our neighbors have seen a black bear. Although I do know one neighbor who about five years ago saw the last bear sighting, and it would come to him. He was so funny. He was a perfect fulfillment of the Scripture of like Job, who said, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. The one person in all of Moravian Falls who did not like bears, who did not like the outdoors, who did not like the trees. He ha actually hated living here. He said, my wife wants to live here. I can't stand it. He said, he said Stephen, I just want to get out of here. All these animals and raccoons. And guess who the bear showed up at? Guess whose house? The bear literally showed up on his porch and knocked on his door. I'm not making that up. Putting his paws all over his door like that. And he opens up the door, and there's a black bear on, on his porch. Didn't go to anybody else's house. It went to his. Why? He believed it. He, he, he imagined it. He meditated upon it. And poof, there it is. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? But true. Woo, glory. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you have the ferocious mountain lions. Uh, not really. They've all been, sadly enough, killed, shot and killed. I did see one when I first moved here nine years ago. Beautiful mountain lion. He was, he was kind of like going through like a molten, uh, molting process. It looked like his fur was falling off in certain patches. But he was a big one. He was a big cat. And no, I didn't have an illusion and see a wild cat. It was a real mountain lion. And the last time we've seen one of those has been about four years on the, on the mountain that I live at. And it was interesting because, boy, I tell you, the deer on the mountain, that they were in total pandemonium. We had deer running through our yard like they were being hunted. I thought, what's going on with the deer? They looked absolutely frazzled and, and terrified. I said, I've never seen the deer look like that before. And then I saw a neighbor. He said, he had, he said hey, uh, Stephen, keep your eyes out today because there's a mountain lion on the mountain. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, just only about a mile from where you're at, right around the other side of the mountain. He's probably just passing through. And, uh, but, boy, he got the deer worked up into a frenzy. And my friend saw him sitting on a rock with his big tail. In the mountain lions, I really like them. They're actually one of the large cats that actually purrs. Pretty neat. Beautiful animals, though. Fantastic. But we haven't seen one in five years now. It's been, it's been a while. And so I don't think we have any around here anymore. Pastor Stephen, why are you talking about wildlife today? Are you going to uh, join the Wildlife Conservatory? No. What I want to tell you is this. In regards to uh, bear, bears and mountain lions and stuff like that, we don't really have them. I'm not concerned about them. But how would you feel? How would I feel if I knew that there were wild lions in the area where I live? Would I just walk out of the house like I do now, knowing there's probably just deer? That's, that's it. 
That's all we have is really deer now. What, what if there were lions? Would I just kind of stroll out of my house like I do every morning, just open up the garage and walk out to my vehicle and walk around the backyard with my dog, take my dog for a walk, if I knew that wild lions were loose? No, I'd be on my toes. Would you just let your kids go out and play knowing there's wild lions on the loose? No, we would be alert. We would, we would be sober. We would be vigilant. Why? Because we don't want to be their next meal. Okay? So, we are told to be alert and sober. This is exactly opposite of the Christian who does not pray. A lion is a carnivore. It is a meat eater and is also a hunter. As a Christian, if you don't have a daily prayer methodology where prayer is incorporated into your life consistently on a daily basis, you're just a snack that's walking around. You're like a corn dog on a stick, ready to be consumed by a meat-eating lion. And all he's got to do is take a little mustard and squirt it on you, and down you go. Maybe a little ketchup. Down you go. Because you walked out, and there he was. I sure hope you're going to get some prayer methodology. Glory to God. <laughs> Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse 3. The Holman Bible says he himself will deliver you from the hunter's net. From the destructive plague. New Living Translation. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. The Dewey Rames Bible says, For he hath delivered me from the snare of the hunters and from the sharp word. He has delivered me from the snare of the hunters. Now listen to me. Every day, the devil has plots, snares, traps laid out for you, trying on purpose to hunt you and catch you and devour you. And he doesn't play fair. He's mean and he's dirty. And he plays underhanded. He'll wait on purpose till the day you skip prayer. Give, he'll watch very carefully. He'll get reports from his demon emissaries if you've skipped three or four now he knows you're weak now he knows he's got you mm. he ain't gonna get me if you're ain't if you're not prayed up you and you think he can't get you you're deceived and full of pride he can get you you he is a he is a supernatural being no he's not God he's not omniscient he's not omnipresent but he is a supernatural creature who's been around for no telling how long He's very, very smart. He's very, very cagey, and he knows human nature, okay? And so you have, to be, you have to be prayed up. You need supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to outsmart him. He is so cunning. He is so cunning. You have got to be on your toes. You have got to be alert and sober. Do you hear what I'm saying? Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm -mm. In light of these things that we have seen, we need to incorporate prayer methodology because these diabolical plans of the devil are laid out constantly for us in an effort to capture us and to bring pain, suffering, loss, harm, and hurt into our lives. I would like at this time to, to suggest three prayer methods that you can incorporate into your life. Are you ready? Number one, get up early and pray. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I've heard that. I know you have, but are you doing it? How do we learn? Repetition, repetition, 
Repetition. Repetition. How does faith come? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In the Greek, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. It's perpetual. It's ongoing. And the way we learn, the way we get into our spirits is by hearing the Word of God. Please go with me right now to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We are talking about three methods of prayer that we can incorporate into our lives to experience victory. Mark 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have seen this verse lately on a regular basis, but the truth is, very few believers actually practice it. If you get up early and pray, number one, you will have less distraction. Okay? Number two, you will be better rested early in the morning. If you try to pray late at night just before you go to sleep, sometimes there's an anointing to do that. But most of the time, you're tired. Okay? And you cannot uh, uh, be at that phase of, of strong prayer because you're physically tired. But early in the morning, you're fully rested. You're at your peak reserves. Okay? Next, your focus upon the Lord will be clearer when you pray early in the morning, and you will have less mental wandering. By the way, wandering minds are normal in prayer, okay? It is absolutely impossible to stay fully focused in your prayer time, how can we say dialed in all the time. That's, that doesn't exist while we're on this planet. Your mind will wander. Just bring it back. Okay, <laughs> just, you know, just get on back to the subject. Sometimes our minds go down these rabbit trails. Sometimes our minds drift over here. That's why you have to spend quality time with the Lord and just hang out for a while so that those main things that you are wanting to pray about, you get that covered. Because you, you, you have to factor in drift time, okay, because that happens to all of us. Okay, now, by getting up early to pray in the morning, you will also send the signal to God that you are honoring Him by placing Him first before all other things. This tells God that He is your first priority for, for the day, okay? Not last, but He's your first priority, okay? So get up early and, and go pray. If you need to get a cup of coffee to get the system online, the Holy Spirit understands that. Go get your coffee, okay? And uh, get yourself uh, situated in a comfortable chair, It'll probably still be dark in the morning, and just sit there and start praying. Some of that stuff that uh, of actually doing it is just better caught than taught. In other words, just go do it, okay? You'll figure it out as you do it, <laughs> okay? And like the old Nike commercial said, just do it, and that, that really is the essence. But the thing is, get up and go do that. Get up early in the morning go, and go pray. If you incorporate this prayer methodology into your life, you will begin to walk in a level of victory that is so satisfying and pleasing, you never want to give it up, okay? So try it for a while. You'll never want to give it up. The second prayer method that I would like for you to incorporate in your life is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. I would like for you to go there with me now at this time. Luke, chapter 5, verse 15. Hallelujah. God's Word is changing your life. God's Word is filling your heart full of faith. 
God's Word is washing and renewing your mind. Mm. Isn't it a wonderful thing to spend time in the Word of God? God is making a new home out of your mind. The word in the Greek to renew, as in Romans 12, 2, when it talks about the renewing of the mind, the word in the Greek for renew is actually renovate. And it's, it refers to renovating a home, like an old dilapidated home, to go in there and renovate that thing. God wants his word to come into your mind and renovate your mind. So instead of being old dilapidated with old religious thoughts or even old worldly influenced thoughts, that your mind is transformed into this beautiful palace that reflects the glory of God. Can you say yes? Now say that's what he's doing right now. Praise God. Luke 5, verse 15, as we also read verse 16, but the news about him was spreading even further. And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Sometimes you want to throw a little something different in to get off the plateau that you might feel like you're stuck on. Okay? Same way in athletics. If you do the same exercises over and over in strength training, you train that muscle group the same way over and over, it'll get stuck on a plateau. How do you change that? You have to, you have to hit it from a different angle. You've got to come in with some different exercises and, and, and uh, change that pattern, disrupt that pattern, and do something different so that the muscles start responding in a new stimulated type way. Okay? So, stop and think about it. You have your normal routine. But when's the last time, perhaps in your life, or maybe you just took your Bible, it's Saturday, you're off from work, and uh, somebody can watch the children. Maybe your wife wants to go shopping. Let me talk to you men for a minute. And you have yourself a free day. Instead of sitting down in front of the TV with nachos, cheese dip, and your favorite soda, when's the last time you just took your Bible, got in the car, drove the Subway sandwich, get yourself a sandwich to go, and go out to the lake all day and sit down and spend time with God to unravel your destiny, to ask God, what am I here for? Lord, who am I really? What, what do you want to accomplish in my life that before I leave this planet, you want to see checked off this divine list that you put inside of me? Lord, what is your plan for my life? When's the last time you actually went and did something like that? See, Jesus would have those times outside of his set daily devotional times. He'd have times that he'd go off all day and spend with the Lord. When's the last time, if ever, you have done something like that? I'm telling you, that blesses the heart of God. You come out of situations like that, you'll know who you are in the Lord. You'll know God's plan and purpose for your life, and you'll be busy about your Father's business. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He would go away sometimes for the entire day and spend it out in a remote area, okay? Think about things like that, okay? And plan some things like that so that you never get stuck on a spiritual plateau, but that you're going forward in a tremendous way, in a tremendous way. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our third and final suggestion that I would suggest that you incorporate into your prayer methodology is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Would you please turn there at this time? This verse right here gives us our third point, and this point is that I believe that in your prayer time, every time 
you have your prayer on your daily basis, you need to aim for an hour in prayer, okay? You need to aim for one hour in prayer. Matthew tw uh, 26, verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? How about that? And the word watch that's used here is often used in reference to what we call a prayer watch or a time of prayer. One hour session of prayer can transform your life. Now, I am not talking about having a, uh, a method of prayer where you try to pray 10 minutes in the morning and then you pray somehow 20 minutes at lunchtime. And then maybe at 4 o'clock in the afternoon you somehow just squeeze in a few more minutes and then at night, just before you go to bed, you squeeze in a few more minutes, and you go, okay, I made it. I got 60 minutes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one session, one hour, okay? One session, one hour. Setting an hour as a goal gives your mind something to aim for, okay? God created us in a way that we function effectively through the proper use of goal setting, Okay? So don't think it weird or even abnormal or out of the ordinary if you also want to go beyond an hour. How about that? I want to talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, let me reemphasize that I believe that God would be happy if all of his people would pray an hour a day. I know that most don't. As a matter of fact, I know that Many ministers who are full-time in the ministry don't pray an hour a day. That might surprise some of you who are hearing this. You might think, well, Pastor Stephen, they do it full-time. What are they doing? Activities. Ministry activities. Sometimes it includes golf, okay? And other nice things like that. Oh, I'm not knocking golf. It's a great sport. Thank God for the Scots who developed it. But look, what I'm trying to say is this. There's time. You just have to, you have to carve it out, Okay. You have to take that time and incorporate it. And really the only person that you're cheating or hindering is yourself when you don't give God time in prayer. Because prayer is always supposed to be a two-way form of communication, okay? Not just us talking, talking, but also Him talking to you as well. So if it's very hard for God to accomplish what He wants to do in your life if you're just not there for him to talk to you, okay? So it takes time to unwind and, un and unravel and to spend with the Lord. That's why it's good to have an hour. If you actually take the Lord's Prayer and pray through it, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and go through it subject by subject. E each little statement is a subject hitter. It takes about an hour to work your way through it, okay? Just where you get relaxed, the Lord's talking to you. And, you know, sometimes... It takes, uh, when, you're, when you're praying, it takes a little while to, if I could use just uh, some point-blank words here, it takes a little while just to cut through the crud sometimes. Pastor Stephen, what in the world do you mean? I mean, sometimes that you just sit down to pray. It's usually not like this in the morning. But if you pray an hour in the morning, then maybe you try to pray later. Sometimes it just, and sometimes it can be like that in the morning. Not always, but sometimes it can be. It's just like all kinds of other thoughts want to bombard your mind. And your mind wants to do anything but pray. I mean, your mind will say, look at the weather. We're just sitting here. This is boring. 
And you know what? There's a part of it until you press in. It is boring. It, it's just it's just you sit there sometimes, and you, and it's just like you want to go do something else, and your flesh might feel edgy. But you know what? That's all part of cutting through the baloney. Okay? So if you'll stay there, you'll get through that junk. A lot of people never kind of get through that. They'll maybe do these so-called 12-minute devotions, and then they're up and out. And I'm like, you never got past even the, the haze. You know what I'm talking about? It's like an airplane. And this happened to me so many times in Charlotte because a lot of times Charlotte's cloudy. It seems like every time we fly out of Charlotte Airport, it's, it's cloudy. And so you're sitting there on the tarmac on the plane. It's cl- uh, cloudy and it's rainy or drizzly. And you think, what a, what a kind of dreary day. But as soon as that plane takes off, oh, give it about 10 or 15 minutes and you're up past that cloud layer. What's up above that? I'll tell you what's above it. Sunshine. And until that sun sets, it's sunshine all the time. Because once you get above those clouds, whoo, hallelujah. And then you kind of get happy. Oh, the sunshine. Ooh, yeah. It's nice. It's nice. Same way in prayer. You need to stay there till you get above the clouds. And sometimes that's just hard to do in 10 minutes. Oh, sometimes you're, whoo, right into the glory. That's wonderful. But honestly, you and I both know it's not like that every single time. Sometimes you just have to stay there and just cut through all the crud and baloney and all these uh, wandering thoughts, and you just stay there, and before you know it, it just begins to clear. The clouds begin to clear, and you're in the sunlight. You're in the Lord. Now you feel the Lord's presence. Now it's easy to pray, okay? So that's why you need to pray for an hour so you can get above the clouds, have some good time with the Lord. And, you know, I, I had a person one time say, well, you know, he said, Pastor Stephen, if I just pray for five minutes a day, God still loves me. I said, of course he does. And he said, God hears everything I said. He, even if it's just a little prayer that I offer up throughout the day. I said, of course he does. But you know what? From, from a marriage relationship, I mean, what if that's the way you conducted your marriage, a husband and a wife, and you just have these little occasional, like, a ship passing by in the night type moments where you never really sit down and talk. You never really have that open two-way communication, but it's always like, hi, thinking about you, yeah. But, you know, you never really have uh, these times where you just put everything out on the table, talk everything over and everything. There's clear, open lines of communication. So that's a different level. That's a different level, okay? So I'm talking about having a phenomenal level of success in your prayer life. In order to do that, you're going to have to have structure in your prayer life. You have to have a prayer methodology, and God wants you to come into this. Can you say yes? Now, also beyond an hour, there are those who walk into these types of places, and it's not weird or abnormal. You also can go into a place that is beyond an hour of prayer. And hear me, it's not just reserved for the mystic saints, okay? I know that some of you think that the people who do that obviously float six inches off the floor all the time, but no. And let me say something else. Many of those people that we would classify as mystic saints were very, very well-grounded. They were very, very well-balanced and knew their B-I-B-L-E like the back of their hands, okay? And all of that stuff actually gives a foundation and support to have a deep, uh, a deeper Uh, mystical walk with the Lord, to have a stronger spiritual experience with the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ooh, glory to God. All right. So, I want you to renew your mind concerning prayer and also concerning the length of prayer. 
Sometimes people think, maybe they haven't been exposed to it, they think that one hour of prayer is just like maximum. Kind of reminds me of the four-minute mile. Before it was ever broken, they weren't sure if anybody could even do it. And some scientists of the day said that, I don't think it can be done. Some leading scientists in the world said it is impossible for the four-minute mile to be broken. And if a man actually did run that close, it's very possible that he could fall dead and die. Okay? Well, it's been broken over and over and over. One man actually broke it. One very good runner actually broke it over 100 times. <laughs> How about that? Okay? So, yes, you can pray longer than an hour, and you won't turn into a vapor or a fog. You'll be okay. Uh, it's possible to step into that. But you have to renew your mind if you haven't done that before and understand that there's many people who do that. I remember when I was a senior in high school, uh, I ran from my house to the high school. I was on the track team. I was a distance runner, and I was also in the band. Actually, excuse me, this was my 11th grade year, uh, my junior year of high school. So I ran to the high school and uh, got there, got out my musical instrument, and sat down and took my place. And, uh, and, I, and I sat down, and, and the person sitting next to me uh, was a, uh, a girl. She was in the same grade as I was, and she was also my next-door neighbor. Her and her brother lived next to me and, and uh, my family where we lived on the street there. And uh, she said, you ready for band practice? I said, yeah, I sure am. I said, I'm ready. She, uh, she said, great. She said, how come you look so hot? I said, well, I just, I just ran, I ran, ran the band practice. She said, from where? From the other side of the school? I said, no, from home. She said, oh, no, no. She said, don't pull my leg like that. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're joking. I said, no, I, I really did. I ran from my house, ran to the high school. She said, well, that's, that's like almost three miles. That's impossible. I said, no, it's not. I did it. She said, no, you didn't. I said, not only did I do it, I'm going to run home when I get done with band practice. <laughs> but for her mind, she, she, just, uh, she just thought, well, that, that, that's not possible. Now, Pastor Stephen, it's not possible to pray, pray over an hour. You'll fall out. You'll have to have a, the, the, the medical squad somehow re, uh, revive you or something. No, you'll be just fine. I'm not talking about, like, other responsibilities that you blow those off. No, you, you have to be responsible, but you have time. You can step into that discovered new dimensions of God. Hallelujah. So, let that renew your mind. Let the Holy Spirit take you into that. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus. And you, you will, you will be blessed. You know what? I've got one more. Would you like one more? One more secret, one more tip that I suggest that you can incorporate into your own prayer methodology. This is something I do also. And I think, I think this one will really help you. And I think you'll really like it. I want to read something from Romans chapter 14. A verse, uh, it's verse 12. It says, so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will each give an account of ourselves to God. And in the context of Romans 14, what Paul is speaking about is that we don't have to judge others. That's not a responsibility because uh, God will judge them, but we have to, in, in essence, judge ourselves. Okay, because when we stand before God, we will have to give an account of our life. I, I'm not responsible for giving an account of, you know, somebody else's life. They have to stand before God, before God one-on-one. -on -one. We all do. So every aspect of our life will be reviewed by the Lord. We'll have to give an account for it. We'll have to give an account for the way we spend our money. 
We have to give an account for the way we lived our lives. We have to give an account uh, for uh, the way that uh, did we pray or did we not pray? Did we uh, endeavor to follow after the Lord? You know, of course, I'm not talking about legalism and do this, do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just basically, in essence, living for the Lord. How did we live our lives? Do we go all out or did just we just, you know, pull back and just, you know, kind of like live for ourselves? Those things will have to be accounted for. So, accounting is a thorough review. One of the best ways to establish a phenomenal prayer life is to keep a prayer log book. Here's mine right here. Okay. Now, when I'm talking about a prayer logbook, I'm not talking about a prayer journal. Okay. I'm not talking about where each day you've got a journal like two or three pages and, you know, write out all kinds of things that happened in your life. Now, some people like to journal. I'm not really a journaling type person. And that's probably because I've got too many other writing responsibilities that keep me busy. Okay. So I'm not a journaler, but I do keep a prayer log book. And I can open up my prayer log book and I can look at yesterday. And I can uh, find that spot in my book, and it will tell me exactly, exactly how many hours I prayed on that specific day. That's all I do in my logbook. It's not complicated. It's very simple. I put for how many hours I prayed that day. If I studied the Word of God, I'll write that down. So if I prayed three hours, I write down three hours prayer, 45 minutes studying the Word. Or uh, two and a half hours prayer. Uh, three hours in the Word, whatever that might be, I'll just write it down, boom, that's it, okay? And if uh, there's some other details I feel led to write down, I'll do that, but I like to keep it short and simple. That's way, that way it's easy for me to maintain it, okay? Now, thank you, Lord. When I was in college, each year we had to keep a logbook of our training records. We were required to do that. And the, the head coach uh, distributed these books to every member on the team. And it was even more important for the guys that were on the distance running team because you can, you can tell by the mileage that you're running each week uh, how well you're going to perform based solely upon what's recorded in your logbook of how many miles you ran or did not, mile, uh, or did not run. So every week we'd have to turn our logbook in. Okay, and that wasn't this one. This is my prayer logbook. Okay, but for instance, uh, after each week, uh, we'd have to turn in our logbook, and we'd give it to the distance running coach, and he'd gather all of our logbooks, and uh, he would review the week of every single runner on the distance team, and the following day he'd give them back. Okay, and minimum requirement seventy miles a week. Okay, that's that's basic. You need to get seventy miles a week. Well, coach, I had a bad week. I got sick. I got the flu, and I only had 55 miles. I can guarantee you that's coming back with comments, with a red pen, unsatisfactory. Get more sleep. Take care of yourself so you don't get sick. You've got to keep your mileage up. Mm. And if you're not hitting 70, week, uh, 70 miles minimum a week, then you're going to get some comments that would motivate you to uh, be more serious about your athletic performance. Basically, do you want to do well on the track or not? Because if you want to, these are minimum requirements, and they would review that every single week. I had a friend of mine. He was actually a roommate, and when he was in high school, he was the New York state champion. He was the number one distance runner that came out of the state of New York. He and I were roommates, and coming from New York to Texas, where I attended uh, college, he had a difficult time. He actually had 
culture shock. He came from a large city, and he came to a smaller city with a different way of doing things in a different culture, and uh, even some of the foods were different. So it really kind of threw a kink in his training, and, it, and it, uh, he had a hard time acclimating. And so he had a few races over a few weeks where he just kind of, he didn't run according to what his potential was. And he got so upset at himself. He said, I've had it. I've had it with not getting settled in and getting my routine down. And he just went on a tear for one week. And every single day for a one week, he ran 26 miles. He went out and ran a marathon every day. He was so frustrated and upset at himself that by the time the week was completed and he turned his journal in, when he turned it in for the week, his weekly mileage was 180 miles. Okay, so the next day, we all get our journals back. And uh, his, his journal had a note in it said, basically, please tell the truth and don't exaggerate your mileage. <laughs> so he went and talked to the head coach and said, I'm not exaggerating. And I knew he wasn't. I was his roommate. Uh, in the town that I lived, there was a loop, a highway loop that went around the whole city. Okay, and it was about 30 miles. If you want to loop the city, you could drive this and, you know, take certain exits. That way you get around the city faster. And there are times I got my vehicle and drove out, and I saw him running the loop over on the shoulder around the entire city. I tell you, he was beat as a, and whooped after a week. He could hardly walk after a week, but he did it. And I honestly got him back on track. Well, when the coach found out that it wasn't exaggerated or wasn't, wasn't fabricated, he called the entire track team together. We were, we were ranked third in the nation behind, behind USC and UCLA. He called the entire track team together. We had, we had Olympians uh, who had medaled uh, in, in the Olympics on the track team. And he said, I want to call attention to uh, Tim's journal. Tim last week refused to be a loser in life. Tim last week refused to be normal. Tim last week got tired of being just average. Tim last week ran 180 miles. And uh, I tell you what. He was never the same after that. I mean, it took him back three weeks to recover. He, he punished his body. But everything kicked into gear, and he really uh, started running at the level he was able of doing and then went even beyond that. But see, sometimes you got to shake it up and push yourself. All right, so a prayer logbook holds you accountable, okay? The numbers, the time spent in prayer, they don't lie but they speak very accurately and bluntly about your spiritual commitment to the Lord. Okay? And sometimes when you actually see what you're doing, if it's a little, you're like, wow, I didn't really know I was doing so little. Remember Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Some people, they're way up here. Their logbook, though, tells the truth. Okay? Because <laughs> you can't get way up there unless you're on your knees a whole lot. Mm, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> a logbook provides a track record of success that you can also use to motivate others who they themselves may also need a plan of guidance to come into a place of spiritual victory. I remember Kenneth Hagin said that he knew a man who had an average-type ministry, and this man reached the point of discontentment in his spiritual life and with his ministry. And this, Brother Hagin said, this man made a commitment to the Lord from that day forward 
he would spend two hours and 40 minutes, a tithe of a 24-hour day. He would give two hours and 40 minutes every day with the Lord in prayer. And Brother Hagin said that the Lord Jesus gave that man an international ministry. How about that? Thank you, Lord Jesus. A logbook, a prayer logbook allows you to express and record certain notes or revelations that may otherwise be lost if you don't write them down. I've said it before. A short pencil is better than a long memory. Okay? God gives you a word of wisdom. You need to take the time to write that down. Okay? Something special like that, write it down. And finally, a logbook shows God you are serious about your spiritual development. Okay? God says that person's trying. That son or that daughter of mine, they're trying. They're trying to come along. They don't want to be just status quo. They want to be an earth shaker. Okay? Was it not said about the apostles, these are the men who've turned the world upside down? Okay? So, if you want to do some shaking, if you want to have God work through you to make an impact, you're going to have to get serious. If you, want your, if you want your business to go to a new level, you need God's blessing upon that. You need to be on your knees in prayer so that you can hear clearly from the Lord, clearly from the Lord. A uh, prayer intercessor who was the uh, pastor's wife at a church, she, she shared one time about these prayer meetings in the church, and she would oversee the church prayer meetings. And uh, they had quite a different collective type group of people in the prayer meeting that were church members. And she said one day, a very wealthy man who would attend the prayer meetings kind of sporadically. He, he loved the Lord. He was saved, but very inconsistent with his uh, a spiritual level of commitment to the Lord. She said one day after the prayer meeting was over, just where they had a private time of prayer. It was a corporate prayer meeting, but it just kind of the Holy Spirit took it into a place where he's speaking to the hearts of his people. And so uh, everybody's being ministered to individually by the Holy Spirit. This uh, pastor's wife said that after the service, this man was weeping in prayer. And he was very saddened in his heart. She said, she said, why are you crying? She said, all these years, I was so proud that I was a multimillionaire. He said, my net worth is $3 million. And he said, I have always been very proud of that. But while in prayer today, the Holy Spirit said that if I would have been more consistent in prayer, that by this point, I'd be in the multi, multi, multi-millions. I'd be in double-digit millions of dollars. But the Lord revealed to this man that because of his inability to hear, his uh, inability, or uh, not inability, but his, his unwillingness to invest more time in prayer so that he could hear what God would speak and say to him, it was actually hindering him and holding him back from going to a higher level. But he made modifications, he made changes, and by God's grace, I'm sure he's doing a whole lot better. Now, of course, uh, the, the monetary blessings are all, those. that's like icing on the cake. The main thing is the change that takes place on the inside where we are transformed more into the image of Christ, okay? And the work of God, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things come out. And these things bring glory to the Lord. And these things make others look and say, I want the kind of walk that that person has. Okay? That's why it's worth it. And that's why you'll also experience rewards in heaven waiting for you. And you'll see that your investment in the prayer closet 
on your knees will be worth it all. So these are, uh, I wanted to give three, I ended up giving four suggested uh, methods of prayer methodology that you can incorporate into your life so that you have phenomenal success in your prayer life. And I pray it will be a blessing to you. And I know that the Lord welcomes you into the courts of heaven, expecting to see you on a much more consistent basis. Praise God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We are expecting phenomenal success in our prayer lives. Now, Father God, let your word fall on good soil where it begins to produce this 100-fold return within the lives of your people, where modifications are made in devotional lives, where structure that is divinely established comes in and roots out and removes sporadicism, inconsistency. And so, Father, we thank you for a firm foundation, and we thank you, O God, for joy and peace in our times of prayer. And we thank you that we surrender our lives to you and ask that you work through our lives, that great glory might come to your name, and that we can fulfill our purpose and our calling for being here. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go out and have a great week. I'll see you next time. Back with the Word of God. Till then, you be blessed. Take care. God bless you, and bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.